Welcome to Weapon of Choice, a podcast where creatives across mediums give us insight into the weaponry of their art. Each episode, you'll be hearing an interview with an artist who uses their art as a weapon of choice for social change and disruption, visibility and justice, cultural critique and resistance, among other things that ignite social consciousness and community action. These artists will tell us about their journeys toward the battles they are fighting, how they design, sharpen, and develop their artistic weaponry to strike a blow against injustice in the world. All right. Welcome back. Here we are. It's been a little bit of a break, but uh, we got some episodes in the pipe. Uh, actually, this episode, we we did, did this interview dates back to October? No. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna say November. November. Yeah. November. Does feel like a while, but um We shot a film. <laughs> yeah, we did this, we did that, but we got so so lucky that while Black Belt Eagle Scout was on tour uh for their new record, uh they stopped through Minnesota and we were also blessed to know that KP, aka Black Black Belt Eagle Scout, was uh Weapon of Choice was on KP's radar to uh uh you know, sit down with uh, someone they wanted to sit down with and uh, I was like whoa what an honor yeah. and folks have been uh, some beautiful souls who are uh, native folks here in Minneapolis have been recommending Black Belt Eagle Scout so it all finally came together and again these yeah these last two interviews that we did with uh, Black Belt Eagle Scout and Nusheen were kind of just like we were circling 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 both ways and uh, we made it and uh, Black Belt Eagle Scout is music that you got to get your hands on. Um, I mean, it's amazing. And KP stands as a radical indigenous queer feminist. And uh, as as she you know deep delves into these deeper chapters, um, she explores power and love, desire and friendship. KP's music has been informed so so adeptly and deeply informed by her life experiences and relationships. She grew up around powwows and the songs of her grandfather and grandmother, singing with family in their drum group. And this is what shapes how she creates music with passion from the heart and soul. And it is amazing. And, you know, there's there's this beautiful energy and at the same time calm to mm-hmm. Black Bell Eagle Scouts music. And you get that same experience, not only listening to the albums, but you get that same experience just having a conversation with KP. And uh, we were so lucky. We were so lucky to have this interview. Um, and it was timely, too, because like there's just these ebbs and flows of, of cynicism in the world and what's going on in this crazy world. And uh, a conversation like this uh, just gets you better in tune with hope for the future when, you know, people like uh, all of us are coming together and having these real conversations. And And what you'll... We were lucky to do the interview in the basement of Cafe Edo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll hear some of the pinball machines in the background. Yeah, classic <laughs> classic vintage pre-hipster Cafeto Cafe in Minneapolis. If you're ever in Minneapolis, that's the one you want to hit up. Over until 1 a.m., they got the ping pong, they got the arcade, what have yous, and uh, the, the booths with the duct tape stitched mm-hmm. seating that wasn't on purpose. None of that hipster yipster you know hipster elite bullshit <laughs> that you get in uptown these days 
Uh, but we loved we loved uh, this meetup. We loved this conversation. We loved this basement conversation. Basement conversations. We call it the graffiti episode. <laughs> so without further ado, here it is. Boom. Uh, my name is KP, and I have a band called Black Belt Eagle Scout, and that's currently my creative project that I'm pursuing in life. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, welcome to the Weapon of Choice podcast. We're glad to have you. Yeah. Oh my gosh, we're so happy that <laughs> you, you helped make this work. Yeah. So we're in the basement of Cafeto Cafe, one of the dopest cafe, cafes that's ever been in Minneapolis, and we're in the basement. Surrounded by ping pong tables and pinball machines. So you might hear some of that in the background, but it's all good. We're live, we're raw, and this takes me back to when we were in the green room, green room of Triple Rock interviewing yeah, yeah. Downtown Band for our first ever episode. So I love it. Um, I want to get into a little bit about your family, your memory. How old were you when you realized, and I use air quotes, like so many episodes, I forget to say that. How old were you when you realized you're not normal? Um, like when I've like, you remember a time when you just looked around in your environment or school, I was like, (laughs) I'm different. I think that was probably middle school that that point when I was like growing up and I was like, I, I grew up in a really small town. And so my like graduating class was like around like 45 people. And so it was just like teeny tiny. And there are a lot of people, like, who are really into sports and just, like, kind of into, like, I don't know, just, it was normal life to them. And so middle school is when I was like, I like music. And then not everybody, everybody was also, was was like, I like sports. (laughs) And and that was, like, the time when I was like, okay, this is, this is different. (laughs) You had siblings growing up, um, small family, big family. A small family, older brother, um, but he was like out of the house before. Like I, I we're kind of, we're like six years apart, so he's just sort of been the older brother that's taken off and done his own thing. Yeah. And you, you loved music. You knew you loved music. How did uh, that early age love for music and the family bonds um, give you a lot of life growing up? Um, my parents have always been really, like, supportive of anything I want to do. They're pretty awesome. (laughs) Yeah, like, I, I remember when I was, when I wanted to learn music, I somehow got them to get me a drum set, and I just set it up in my bedroom, and I'd play all the time. Like, just there'd be so much noise coming from this like little house on this reservation and i i don't i don't know why they let me do that maybe just because they love me (laughs) (laughs) what do you think about like how loud it probably was at all hours it was yeah i was just going for it there was one time when i when my like we i grew up in like a two-bedroom um house house and my mom like had like our computer it was like a shared computer in my bedroom and so there's one time I was practicing like probably Nirvana chords and she was trying to do some sort of lawyer work <laughs> and she's like could you maybe just for a little bit stop and then I was like sure and that's the only time I can remember them not 
being <laughs> wanting me to do music all other times I was able to at, at that um, to go back to the first question that Tommy asked what was the music at the mm. time that you were listening to um, when, when you sort of were like wait a minute everybody seems to like these other things I love music what were those things in middle school what were those the bands or the yeah, well, I was I was getting really into like alternative music and everybody else was still on like the pop hits on the radio mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I was realizing that like the alternative sounds I was really into and yeah, then yeah. and then being from Washington like naturally like you hear about the history of sure. of that state and like the the music history like like I, and then I also just realized that you know like women were playing in punk bands and like saying anything that they wanted to say in those bands. And so that, that sort of really struck me. And that was about like probably when I was coming out of middle school and going into high school. So like eighth grade into ninth grade and yeah. And then, and then I was like, who are these people in my school? Like I need to get out of here at some point. For sure. For sure. Oh, uh, I guess quick shout out because I learned from you that it's Native American Heritage Month. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's November. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that until yesterday. And uh, we're on Dakota land here in Minneapolis. And, you know, you represent, I don't want to get it wrong, but from your lineage Uh is is what? I'm Swinomish in Inupiaq. Mm-hmm. So I should have said that when I introduced myself. No. <laughs> um, yeah, so Swinomish is a Coast Salish people. So we're from like the water and like uh, we're canoe people. It's up um, on the coast of Washington State. That's my dad's family. And then my mom's family is Anupak, which is up by the Arctic Circle in Alaska. And um, very cold and I don't know, beautiful though. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how, how have you, um, you know, having those bloodlines and, that, and, and the rich relationships with, I know for sure, your mom, um, how, has, um, how have you explored the feelings that come along with identity um, coming from that part of the, the country? Um, I mean, so I grew up on the Swinomish Indian Reservation, and it was, I don't know, it just like seemed like normal life to me what I was living because my dad had grew, had grown up there and my grandfather grew up there. Like that specific area was just where my family was from. Mm-hmm. And so it was just normal to be Swinomish, normal to be native Coast Salish. Like there's an abundance of tribes in Washington that we're just always a part of. And I think that also, like, the white people in in those areas were, I don't know, used to it, quote-unquote, used to it. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't, like, there. from my experience, there wasn't any weird, like, weirdness. Like, everybody was nice to me, at least, when I was growing up. Um, I know that's not always the case, just because where I'm from, the, it's, like, a lot of farmland, and there are Republicans, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I felt like I was just able to ha- have an identity right away because 
the culture was just so much a part of our life. Yeah. I got a. I got a medal, so just you can stop. Do you have more on that thread? Um, but I mean, it's it's all connected to the music. Uh, a lot of it's so connected to the music, and you and you talk about it in like you kind of like talking about your newest album and um, on your website and the newest album at the party with my brown friends. It could easily be received as a cheeky title, but it's so much more deeper and layered than that, you know. <laughs> um, and it's more liberating than than just those words. What about the meaning of that title at the party with my brown friends? Gives you a ton of energy, and how is that reflective for you consistently? Yeah, um, well, I should explain a little bit about what I mean um, with at the party with my brown friends. I think for this this album, I was writing a lot about friendship, and I was writing about these um, support systems that I have, and about specific friends of mine and like relationships, and I was realizing that. Um, a lot of my support system and people that like I think really take care of me are just all of these amazing brown women and I was like these are these are the people I hang out with like I have this crew at home that I was just always like hanging out with and I could just talk about anything with and so I was just thinking about like what it is that we're doing <laughs> in this life I don't know that phrase at the party um, with my brown friends just popped in my head one day and I was like, it's totally like we're at this weird party sometimes when you're just either you're at a really good party or you're at a really bad party and but you're there with your brown friends. And I feel like those are the people that I want to have by my side when shit goes down. So that's where that phrase in specifically came from. Um, but I forget the other part of the question. Yeah, I mean, um, did that, did when that, when that title appeared for you, um, did that, that line kind of ride, uh, did a lot of energy from that line ride throughout the process of creating the whole album? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, well, so the way that I create music, I don't really write lyrics a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they sort of just happen when I'm like creating a song. Like first songs happen with guitar and then I'll be singing and then something will come out. And it's not necessarily like I'll have a a book uh, where I have something written down. That's not really the way that I've been doing this project. Uh, So it's, some of it is just feelings about like people or about like sensations. Um, So sometimes it's not so like literal. Yeah. Um, So sometimes I feel like sometimes it might be a little bit harder to like, uh, pick out sure. like which songs are like about you know relate closer to the title it all makes sense to me yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but for other people listening to it I'm like hmm I wonder what they're thinking about that line because that line doesn't really make sense but it's like the feeling behind it mm. that like I'm trying to get across is mm. makes sense to me 
and this great circle of brown women and friends that you have, um, how how has uh, how have you like thought about through your growth, um, a, you know, a deeper measure of reciprocal love because you've talked about reciprocal love, mm-hmm. and I've I don't hear a lot of people talking about that mm-hmm. in depth in, in many in many cases. Well, okay, this might be a generalization, but it's also something that I specifically have experienced, and I think that there are a lot of people that have experienced this. I think that just, you know, being a person of color, like, you need to be able to support one another, and I think that, you know, like, you just tend to understand each other better versus if you were hanging out with your white friends. Like, and I think the reciprocal love comes into play in that because if, like, my friend um, needs needs some sort of support or something, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna help her out, and then she's gonna do the same thing for me. I think that a lot of people can be that way for each other, but I think that um, it. I think that it's maybe like needed a bit more in like marginalized settings. I don't know. Like I said, that's kind of a generalization, but. Well, I mean, it's something you're, it's an observation more than. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess an observation. And if it's coming from one person is less of a generalization. It's quite specific because for you, your two eyeballs, your brain, your heart, that's what you're seeing in in, in some of these spaces of, of not enough. So, you know, Uh I, I, and I, and I hear that, and I feel like a lot of people, um, just thinking about it for a moment, will realize that they'll be able to resonate with a time when they're not seeing enough in any given space that they might witness or be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah. The, the general part would be maybe the common knowledge or sense that why aren't we or we should be, you know what I mean? And we've got work to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I got excited to hear that you know, even just you just now saying how you kind of will be playing guitar and, and uh, singing might come out, not necessarily just the words or the pen and the paper aspect, but writing and composing songs in your bedroom, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Prince made music for the first 10 years of his life in like his Minneapolis home, you know, before he had the palace and all that. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and at, that, at some point... Um, was at his fingertips he, you know he had iconoclastic living progress that went on and on but for you I'm wondering what's special about uh the home like in the home songwriting feel that's a nice that's not a studio or lucrative record deal feel that 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 the studio deal or record deal could never contribute to that writing in your bedroom feel like how important is that I think I just need to feel comfortable like, even if I did have a recording studio, like, it would just need to feel very comfortable. Um, yeah, and I like, I, I, a lot, I, this is, I really like laying down on the ground and playing guitar. <laughs> and I feel, and, and also just, like, being comfortable and playing guitar. Like, I, I cannot sit in a chair and just, like, do that thing. I have to be in a really comfortable position for me to play guitar sometimes. So that's just always been, like, you know, my bedroom. I can lay on my bed or I can lay on, like, 
you know, this rug on my floor and just be very comfortable. And I think that, I don't know. I think it just puts me in just this, this nice, um, mood to, to be able to, to feel like, you know, good about being creative. Do you have a favorite part of or emotion associated with feeling feeling associated with songwriting? So is it that getting comfortable in your room and, and sort of feeling through starting a song or is it like uh, bringing it to the band and having that like first all practice or, you know, what is what are some of the some of your favorite moments of songwriting and what's behind that? I think that. I like the very first moment when I know that this song's going to be a song where I'm just playing like something and I'm and I know I'm like this is going to be a song. That's the exciting moment. And then the other exciting moment is when I'm in the studio and I'm <laughs> putting sounds on the record like that. <laughs> oh, that's a fun little you're going to have a record full of pinball samples one day, <laughs> whether you like it or not. <laughs> I know. Oh, my gosh. I was thinking, I was like, maybe we should just unplug those, but maybe they might get mad at us. Um, if the owner was here, I would have, literally, he would have set the music off for me. <laughs> but I don't want to push. I don't want to push. He would have set the actual sound system off. <laughs> um, but, but I was saying, like, the, the other, that other moment is, like, when I'm, when I'm in the studio, most of the song is recorded, mm-hmm. and then I'm just like adding these things to make it feel complete. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I, I play with the band live, but they just learn what's on the records because oh, really? that's all me. Mm-hmm. I record all, I have all the stuff that's on the records is me playing those instruments. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, sometimes it feels nice when the band, like, it's like, oh, it, this is like, what I envisioned, like this is how sure, it's supposed sure. to sound. But I think in in creating the moments that I enjoy the most are at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah. Is there any, um, what's that sort of feeling when you do like for a tour practice, like with a band for the first time and you're sort of like all the parts that you've written are now being played by other people. What is it? What's that feeling like? I think it's relief. <laughs> yeah, the, actually, so this tour that we're on, like, we've practiced the most. This is the most we've ever practiced for a tour. And I think it's just because, like, my the two of my new bandmates that are on the tour, they live in Austin. Mm-hmm. And so I flew them up to Portland to practice, and, and, like, we only had, like, a couple days. And so I just, like, booked, like, you know, seven, eight hours in our practice space every day. Oh, wow. Just to make sure <laughs> that everything was going to be okay. Because usually I play with musicians who are local in Portland. Yeah. And we're, they're able to, like, you know, come over to my house and I'll, you know, teach them the guitar parts at leisure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's definitely, like... I've relief is the one thing where I'm like, okay, it's going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I would like to get past that at some point, but it's a little bit hard when 
you, you when I don't like play with like I don't know like f- a f- full time people like y- yeah 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 I only have one person in my band that is just always in the band and then I just hire other other friends mm-hmm. so I would like to get to that point but sometimes it's hard to like convince somebody just to play someone else's music mm-hmm. like I think when mm-hmm. yeah you know yeah. they want to create their own music right and yeah. and like you know have that process like it so yeah that's been a little bit challenging with this band yeah I always wonder about from a collaboration standpoint I don't know that I don't know what it's like as a musician but as a filmmaker it's like okay yeah we're definitely all creating whatever original work hopefully and they're inspired to make our own things and then sometimes in terms of collaboration I wonder like yeah I don't know how it works for music but I know with film it's like momentum really matters because you need like X amount of people X amount of money in the same place at the same time just to yell action mm-hmm. you know um, how does how have you seen like in terms of collaboration momentum helping guide when people come together and make something Mm-hmm. Um, in your town, um, or in your community. Yeah, I mean, hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There's in well in Portland in particular. There's just a lot of bands, so I think that one one of the things that is standing out in my brain is like when when your friends start a new band. And then all of a sudden you're like, you want to support your friends in their new band. Cause it's just like, Portland is very saturated with music. And so I think that once, you know, in my experience, if you see somebody that you love playing music and, and like starting something, then everybody wants to support that. Um, that's happened a lot of times um, in, in my specific community. I think that, um, Portland sometimes has like a short turnaround for bands too. So like I think that uh, sometimes the bands they don't last that long, and I think t- people tend to know that. So like they just want to be able to experience that music because mm. you know it might not last for more than like three years mm-hmm. or two or even one. Mm. How has um? putting parts of your soul and relationships into your music been healing for you? I think it's nice and it's it's needed for me to be able to to get out emotions through song. I think that, I was just thinking about this the other day, I was like, I'm long overdue for just playing guitar and singing. Like I feel like I need that therapy session. And I feel like I need to just like sit down and 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 just play and just you know sing out what I'm what I'm feeling, and yeah, it's just it's just very therapeutic. I feel like I like it better than actually talking to a therapist. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So how does that therapeutic nature play out when you go back into all these other facets of life? Mm-hmm. Um, you got that therapy in your music, and then but you you know you yeah pivot boom drive to the store, go here yeah how, how does that uh, continue to like kind of bless your spirit 
as you go on through, you know, daily? Well, when I, when I like am playing and I like think I, I, there's something good that I want to hold on to, I'll record it and I'll record it on my phone and then I'll just listen to it pretty much all the time. And I think that feeling just sort of morphs into, morphs into like what my life is going to be that day or that week. Um, Yeah, and then I guess it turns into a song. <laughs> and then on the opposite end, is, is making music ever, like, just really stressful? Yeah, it is when there's <laughs> deadlines, when, like, you have to, like, um, get a record done by a specific time. <laughs> mm, only a year later? <laughs> yeah, I mean, this, this, this past record was actually pretty stressful, mainly because I thought, like, I could just go in and, like, you know, record it in a couple days, like I did my first record, and then I realized that, like, no, that's not enough, and then it's so expensive to record in a nice studio. Mm-hmm. And... You have if like like me, I was like working a full time job, and so I'd have to get time off and like kind of, um, like I was even though I got time off, like I was still working those like days. I was checking my email, making sure everything was okay yeah. at work while I was recording. Yeah, and that's not like that. Just kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, with those pressures or stresses when it comes to busy working studio, expensive time is money. Um, how do you alleviate that stress as much as possible in order to be able to take more creative risks? Yeah. I mean, I quit my job to just do music full time. And I think that's going to be like, (laughs) I think that's going to change it when I, when I, when I'm done touring and I am like my, my, um, direction goes more towards like maybe I should you know work on writing or like you know like I actually have the free time and I don't have to Mm -hmm. like check this email for this work thing Mm -hmm. Um, because I was working as a talent buyer for a music venue Mm -hmm. in Portland and like that's like some as if anybody in the music industry knows that's like just a full-time job like you have to like answer emails sometimes at like midnight one in the morning and then check back in like before you go to work like it's like a busy lifestyle and so I I was just like you know what I think I'm at a point where I can support myself financially through music if I work hard yes and then I'll have be able to create my own schedules and create my own like time to just you know be an artist full time Mm mm-hmm as this nice music comes in. And it's scary? Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. It's very scary. Because if like I don't play a show uh, one month, then I'm just like, how am I going to pay my bills? Yeah. Like, I always have to make sure that there's a show or something lined up. Like, no, like, plan out. Mm-hmm. Because I'm in charge of my paycheck. Mm-hmm. In the bigger universe, is there anything about the way the world is now that scares you? <laughs> Um, yes and no, Mm. yes and no. I mean, I think that, I think, I think I've just gotten used to terrible political climates. I think I'm, I've gotten numb to that 
where like and it's unfortunate I wish that I didn't feel this way like with the current like administration like it really sucks and it's Mm -hmm. really terrible and there's just a ton of terrible stuff going on and unfortunately I'm just like I I wish you know I, I could see it being more terrible and yep. yeah, definitely more terrible. But I could also see it being better. Yeah. But but when you're like a native person, like and you're kind of always living in a colonized world, like sometimes there's a pit in your stomach that's like, is this gonna get better? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the time when you really have to find like uh, an outlet to to feel better so how do you balance cynicism and hope i think i just try and try and find people that who love me (laughs) and try and invest in those relationships and try and you know um just find small communities where like you can make a difference or i can make a difference and and trying to support somebody um, <clears throat> so dreams are a part of all of us and but for much of the population of, of folks who can't remember their dreams who cannot remember their dreams um, you know it's like it's kind of like a nature of loss because we do dream and some folks don't remember I, I'm blessed that I do um, but you know you talked about you wish You've talked about how you wish you did remember more of your dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, you feel like that's there's a part you could either learn about yourself or like mm-hmm. parts of your imagination that you could discover about yourself. Yeah. That 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 you're losing out on or that you're missing out on sometimes. And it's clear to me that today dreaming is like it, it's a privilege in a lot of ways, perhaps even a form of wealth. Like, I mean, I was in prison and in prison for all of us who are locked up like dreaming in a more metaphorical or ambitious sense is mm-hmm. cut off at the knees, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but even sleeping dreams, right? The traditional sleeping dreams, uh, how, how do you, I don't know, I just thought it was beautiful how you were just so honest about how you wished that you remembered them. So how do you, do you think about that often? I think about it, um, not like every day, but like every once in a while, I'll just think about it. Um, you know like sometimes when you meet up with your friends they're like oh my gosh I had this amazing dream or like this like whoa this dream I'm just like cool I I probably did too but I can't remember (laughs) and I don't know if it's just something weird with my body or my brain or something like that where it's just not connecting but um, I think I'm missing out on something. I think that there's probably something really cool going on, because I think I'm. I think about how, like I, I, it feels really good to be creative, and and maybe that's maybe just even me making up for the fact that I don't dream or that I don't remember dreams. Mm-hmm. Is that you know that like you lean mystical, more into yeah that like magical mystical time is is just actually me trying to you know feel that way through music um but yeah i just you know i i love like 
imagination and being able to to like imagine different things, different worlds, different like realities and the fact that like that's missing and and it's, other people are able to have that it's it's like it's it gets lonely and i and i just i try and like um whenever i do remember a dream i'm just like wow <laughs> like that was amazing um i actually remembered this dream recently and it was terrible <laughs> Like I was dreaming. Did you appreciate it? I did appreciate it, but because I I thought about it all day, I was like, "Wow, that was really like just Mm. kind of a like intense dream." Like it was this plane crashed into this house, like two houses away from the place we were staying, and I was like, "What does that mean?" Mm. (laughs) It was it was an intense dream, but um, I mean, um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't know. Like, I just, I wish, I wish I could remember dreams more. And I think that that the fact that I don't just sort of tends to tends to come up a lot, and then and then I end up, I don't know, talking about it in my songs. Sure. Yeah. I mean, how, well, how often do you think about like the universe and the meaning of life? Not in a generic way, but. Like, how do you further explore for yourself what we're all doing here and what matters? Yeah, I mean, like, I th- I think about that quite a lot, especially because I come from people who, like, you know, supposedly were in a st- where where I grew up since time immemorial. So it's like I I'm like we're like what what were like my f- ancestors doing in this specific zone like you know so so long ago and then then I think about like I don't know is like are we like the only people that have been on this earth like it seems like very privileged to be like we are the society that has been here in you know this amount of time it's like well couldn't there have been another society (laughs) I don't know what are you tired of hearing? Um, I think that I'm, t- well, I'm tired of being asked what it is like to be a Native American playing music. <laughs> and the most privileged of the media members are the ones who ask it all the fucking yeah. time. Like, how did you get a job? Like you ask boring ask quite like <laughs> yeah it's i'm I'm working with my like publicist to create this document now that's like explains <laughs> a lot more so that people don't have to ask me these stupid questions. <laughs> you could just bring that and like point to it when people ask you that. Like, I know Here, I've answered that on page three. <laughs> I'd rather get more more into like the philosophical thing, but it's hard for some people who are like you know like they're yeah. like in a rural area and like they they don't they don't know any native americans <laughs> so that's true but that's yeah i don't i don't like being asked that question really anymore and then on the the other side of that what do you love hearing today uh what I gives l- you energy yeah i love meeting indigenous people at my shows who 
maybe wouldn't normally be at a show, but who just specifically came to, to see me and to talk to me mm-hmm. and to um, just, you know, welcome me into their land, essentially. Like I was in Omaha and then there are people from the Omaha tribe there that were like, thank you for being here and were speaking to me in their native languages. Mm. And it was, it was just beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Like what's, what's the most profound answer you've ever received? The most profound answer. Um, uh, my friend, their name's Demian. Um, they're a, a Diné queer trans poet, and we were just talking about space one time. And I sometimes I have like, I get just nervous about this whole thing that I'm doing and like being out out in the world doing it. And um, they offer su- support to me from time to time. And one of the things they said was that even if you're doing something wrong or if you're not doing something like in the right way, the fact that you're doing it, you're creating more space for other people. And we're talking about indigenous people for other indigenous people to come in and to do and to do as well. And I was just like, yeah, that is true. Like, like even though I'm like worrying or like having all this anxiety about certain things, like some sometimes when I say things, like just the fact that I'm doing it, it's like other people will hear that and, and maybe like it's like people who have ideas or people who want to talk to people about their ideas, like that creates more space for that to happen. And I think it's um, significantly important for indigenous people to, to be able to have like our voices heard out in the media and, or even just in like casual setting talking to people. And so I think that is probably the most profound thing that I've ever heard. Mm. <laughs> Again, it could get philosophical, but we're okay. We're all, we love it. Um, what's the most profound lie you were ever told? The most profound lie that I was ever told. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I just, I, I think about how much, like, with the politicians and everything, how much they promise things and how much they don't follow through. Um, like, specifically with treaties. Like, mm. you know, there's so many broken treaties and so many, like, things that, like, white the white government has, like, promised indigenous people that just don't, this doesn't happen. And so whenever I, like hear like uh, a politician like talking and promising things like there's this thing inside of me that's like I don't know if that's actually true like if you're actually going to keep that promise yeah. specifically to indigenous people because so many times like we've been fucked over yeah, and like, so I don't know if like there's this one specific time but it's just in general the I profound just, nature of the the con- the constant getting away with n- with not delivering on promises right like, yeah like zero yeah as long as you're not the face of something you pretty much get away with it mm-hmm. if you're a person in power you mm-hmm. know what i mean like 
I'm like the number 10 guy in the White House or whatever, and I'm just as shitty as the president, but no one's gonna know how shitty I am, you know? Like, but I'm gonna keep perpetuating all these lies and communities and in this space and that space. So it's like, oh God. So if they're lying to us in public and completely failing indigenous folks for all this time, it's like daunting to think about how pervasive every level of lie that you know prevents prevents you know what they promised you know and it's just like there's no there's no way to imagine that it's not intentional right when you just put a face out there and it's like oh, i promised them this and i got sixty thousand dollars in donations for my campaign mm-hmm. bye-bye <laughs> you know yeah i mean like yeah i like I sometimes just don't really care about like yeah. politics in that way because yeah. it seems like I'm being complacent with like colonial governments yeah. and I don't want to harm my like, you know, indigenous family and friends because I think that, you know, the government to this day is still harming indigenous communities all the time. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. There's like a solidarity and looking around to your people and all looking each other in the eye and knowing that hey, we, we, we call bullshit on that yeah. just from a feel, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, I have a lot of friends um, on Instagram. It's, I have uh, this Indian Instagram where basically I just follow a bunch of indigenous people and people of color mostly indigenous people on my Instagram and I just like it's it's the best but it's also just like overwhelming sometimes and like I just think about all of these people my age like I'm 30 and like younger people who are just like are fed up with this crap and they're just like no like you know we're not gonna go to boarding schools we're not gonna do have all this stuff this is gonna change like there's already like a revitalizations of so many things that were taken away from native people and i think it's just gonna continue to do that um and yeah i don't know where i was going with that i think i just wanted to talk more about my that opinion and go into a little bit more but yeah, I think that um, I'm just I'm just excited. I think for the indigenous activism that's happening in our younger generations. I think that there's going to be more healing for our people, and just being able to to live in a in a better way. And what are you, what art are you currently taking in that is recharging you? Um, I think that, um, I think a lot of like the art that I'm seeing that, that I'm really into is actually like online. Like, people are making, like, statements and creating these, like, just, I don't know, pictures and statements that, like, I feel like I've been really connecting with. Um, I haven't, like, been to, like, like a gallery or, like, a, I don't know, like, an, a show in, in, a, in, a, in a while. Um, and I think that 
yeah, a lot, a lot of the like art mm-hmm. that I'm, that's really pulling me in and like inspiring me is just like my friends, like writing these statements in their Instagram stories and specifically like my indigenous friends writing these, mm-hmm. like their opinions down and like creating that sort form of like, like technology art. I don't know if that's what you call it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's more of like a specific, specific, uh, thing that you that is supposed to be called but yeah there's a certain way that i think indigenous people right now are using technology to like connect with one another and to raise voices which like i'm super into if you were to leave listeners with one thing you know what do you want people listening to know um that's always the hardest question. <laughs> like, uh, what are? Be like, <laughs> yeah. Um, to know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't know. Do it. Do I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thanks. <Sorry. laughs> and plug. Yeah, social media. Where can they find you? Where can they listen to your music? So I have like social media accounts. I have a, like my like band, Facebook and Twitter. Um, but I'm like most active on Instagram. Um, I think that. I yeah. So I have all those things. I have a website and whatnot. You can like people. People are like, where can I listen to your music? And I just have to say everywhere because literally, like, you can find it wherever. And yeah. But if if anybody wants to like actually see what my life is like and like follow me in a sincere way, find me on Instagram and it's just my band name. Awesome. Thank you, KP, for Thanks. joining us in this basement in, basement in Minneapolis. <laughs> Got to hit that tour bus. Drive safe. Yeah. On your way to Chicago. Yeah. We're lucky to have you in Minneapolis, and Chicago will be lucky, and the rest of the, all the other cities. <laughs> we appreciate it. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you, KP. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, as always, these episodes are produced by myself, Andrew Benda, and tommy franklin we are special menu productions you can find all of our stuff at www.specialmenuproductions.com we will uh we'll have a lot more up uh, you know we've got some films up there right now we've got some music projects we've got this look out that. for white tears y'all yeah so white tears is the next movie coming out uh follow along on instagram at, at white tears movie trust you're gonna want to and we'll, we'll we're gonna have a we're going to organize a premiere and we'll, we'll, we'll let y'all know because uh, it's going to be an event. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite the controversial film thus far in the best ways. Um, yeah. But yes, uh, get out and check out Black Belt Eagle Scout because the music is fucking amazing all across the board. And uh, we're, we're big fans. We can't wait to see what comes next from them. And um, we can be found on social media. Instagram is at Weapon of Choice Podcast. Facebook is at Weapon of Choice Podcast. If you're on Twitter, that's at Weapon Choice Pod. 
Yes. At Weapon Choice Pod, I got that right. <laughs> uh, motherfuckers, we don't use Twitter, but we're there, technically. <laughs> um, Patreon, yes. We got yes. people donating. We got a uh, we got a little over a dozen people donating monthly to the podcast to help sustain us. Um, it, I don't know where we'd be without that help over the last couple of years. And um, yeah. I mean, any, any little bit has been so helpful and just... You know, even when when we look at the amount of time that uh, Tommy, myself, uh, the artists kind of contribute to this on the front end and the back, like, you know, there's no, you know, we're not we're not paying ourselves for this, but just even a dollar a month helps uh, motivate us and just like reminds us that that you care, that you appreciate. Um, It helps us when when we get these moments when we have crazy ideas like Tommy and I were just talking before we started rolling this tape about when we're going to get back to New York City to interview more guests and just any any little bit is an encouragement to keep this going. So thank you to all our current donors and, uh, you know, there's always a spot. There's always a spot for more. There's always. I mean, we plan on doing some great interviews with artists, uh, whether you've heard of them or not, the ones you haven't, you need to hear of. In New York, <laughs> Chicago, we're going to go back to Chicago. We're going to go to Miami. We're going to hit up Atlanta. We'll be back in L.A. and, and we trust. We got in Detroit. We got some yeah. names we don't even want to, we don't want to spoil yet. And, you know, just giving any dollar amount to our Patreon is huge. You can you can do that at patreon.com forward slash weapon of choice podcast. That's patreon.com slash weapon of choice podcast. I mean, there there will come some perks with whatever dollar amount you decide to give. But even if you can't give on the Patreon, hit us up. Send us a DM. Yeah. Hit us up on Instagram, Facebook. Email us at weaponofchoicefans at gmail.com. And we got some T-shirts. We got some butter soft, cotton, black and white Very Weapon soft. of Choice T-shirts. And they are fire. And there's not a lot left. But uh, if we can uh, get some folks to order up the rest of these, we can get some more. And um, let me tell you. Uh, we we got we got to take pictures of all the people that do have them and get them all to take selfies yeah, and yeah. blast that online because uh, they look good, y'all. And uh, you know, we just want to hear from you. What kind of art are you taking in currently that's giving you life, inspiration, energy, and uh, and hope? Um, you can hit us up any of those channels that you heard a minute ago, and uh, we look forward to hearing from you and uh, chatting with y'all some more and bringing y'all more amazing explosive powerful interviews with the guests that we're so blessed and honored to have on this show hey thank you everybody we'll see you next time the next episode you are not going to want to miss so stay tuned hit subscribe we'll see you adios